Business Women Rock, Episode 13. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock Podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible business women. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. What's up, ladies? Welcome to the 12th episode of the Business Women Rock podcast. I'm so excited that you're here with me today. And first and foremost, I just really want to give a shout out to you. Because of you, because of you listening and downloading the show and rating and commenting and being active on our Facebook page, we have reached close to 5,000 downloads in just four weeks of this show, of four weeks of our launch. So we have just about 10,000 likes on our Facebook fan page. There are comments coming in on the website under each of the show notes of the of the programs that have really touched you. So I just really want to say thank you. My big goal is to make sure that what I do in this world has a big global impact and this platform of podcasting and the fact that these women have been so wonderful in sharing their stories with me and with you has just really given me that opportunity. And I just really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. And it really hit home for me the other day when Joy Jendusa, who is our very first interview, she was episode one, actually received a LinkedIn message from a listener who really just said, hey, you know, I stumbled upon the Business Women Rock podcast. I listened to your interview and oh my gosh, it totally had an impact on me. This is what she said. I just wanted to say thank you for taking part in the podcast and giving someone like me the opportunity opportunity to be inspired by your accomplishments. I have dreams of my own as a designer and hearing how you made yours a successful reality has prepared me to challenge myself to set those goals in motion. I wish you continued success. And I thank you again so much for sharing your story. And that was from Stephanie Morgan, who's a graphic designer up in Indiana. And Stephanie, I just want to tell you this, and I want to make sure everyone knows out there I literally had to pull my car over when I saw this come through and I bawled. I really, really bawled. I cried like a little baby because this is exactly why the Business Women of Rock podcast exists because I am so driven to make sure that Stephanie, that you, every single person that ever listens to these podcasts and ever gets to really hear the stories from these ladies are really, truly impacted and their lives are sincerely touched by these stories. So thank you so much for your feedback. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for letting this affect you. And thank you for giving me the encouragement to be able to continue bringing you stories from amazing, incredible business women. And speaking of, it's time to introduce my guest for today, Joanna Penn, who is the founder of The Creative Pen. She's a blogger, she's a writer in fiction and nonfiction, and an expert on self-publishing. She's been voted one of the top 10 blogs for writers three years running, and the UK Guardian rated her the top 100 creative professionals in 2013. And she debuted in the Amazon US bestseller Crime List alongside Michael Connolly. Joanna's website, thecreativepen.com, that's pen with two N's, is a mecca for any person who wants to write and self-publish. She is absolutely incredible. She is filled with real practical information on how to self-publish and how to build a career as a writer. She's got some great insights, and I'm really excited for you to hear her story of how she went from total corporate professional to creative entrepreneur. So turn up the volume. The interview starts now. Joanna, thank you so much for being with us here on the show today. Oh, I'm really excited to talk to you today, Katie. 
one of the reasons that I think makes your story so unique is your business background and all the varied things that you've done, but specifically in the writing arena and the fact that you've really carved a very special niche for yourself in the writing arena. And I want to talk about that because I think there's so many people out there who want to be a writer. And it seems like such a huge, huge hurdle to overcome to actually become a successful writer. So I want to get into your story on how you really got to where you are today. So what were you doing for a living before you really got into your writing gig? Yeah, sure. So I actually have a degree in theology, so a master's in theology. So, you know, just so people know, I don't come from, you know, business education. In England, we tend to do these kind of random degrees that don't really lead anywhere. Um, But then I joined um, a management consultancy uh, called Accenture, you know, very big company. And I, I basically spent 13 years as a business and IT consultant in large corporate. So I was a classic kind of cubicle slave. I guess uh, you could call me. Um, And I worked all over Europe and in Australia and New Zealand. And so that was kind of my my day job. And yeah, I specialized in financial systems and banking, which, you know, let's be honest, is not the most creative thing in the world so so that was you know and along the way I resigned a lot you know I would I would work for a couple of years save some money resign go traveling start another business I started a scuba diving business um, which we had loads of mistakes in I I did property investment I did a travel kind of bureau thing before the internet went nuts on travel and so I I tried all these different things and you know I, I kept having to go back to the day job because I never really found that model that worked until finally in September 2011, I I left the day job to become a a full-time author, speaker, and entrepreneur. That's kind of my job title these days. Now, were you writing all these years? Were you always a writer or was it something you picked up along the way? Uh, Well, I've always been a reader and uh, avid reader I read you know I just read thousands and thousands of books Um, and I was a writer in terms of I've always written diaries since I was about 15 so I've got a whole stack of diaries right here by my desk you know obviously during my degree I was writing essays as a business consultant I was writing big documents that nobody ever read so I was a writer in that I knew how to construct an argument and a document and talk about something but I'd certainly not written fiction since school really hadn't really written stories uh so that that was a departure but I did start as an uh, writing non-fiction because that that was more my comfort zone what's really interesting to me in that is that you it wasn't like you had prepared your whole life and you know were working on your writing craft I mean you were in some ways but not necessarily you know always honing in and working towards this thing about you know being an author so what gave you the gumption to really step out of the workforce and say, I'm going to, I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to do this full time. Well, I think like many businesses, there wasn't a day when I kind of said that what I actually started doing was around 2006, 2007. I just couldn't understand why I couldn't find what I wanted to do with my life. Um, You know, I'd hit sort of 30, early 30s. And I I just couldn't work out why did I dislike my job so much. So I started to I wanted to study, you know, almost like study how you could find what you wanted to do with your life. And then I thought, why don't I write a book about this? Because I know I I was reading so much self help at the time. I think we all do. You know, I was reading uh, Jack Canfield's success principles, kind of one of my 
big books and I, I was reading all these self-help and I was listening to Tony Robbins and and I was just like I, I want to be that's what I want to do I want to write some kind of self-help book and I'll help other people change their lives and so I started writing this book and I, I rewrote it I actually rewrote it uh, last year and it's called Career Change because I kind of discovered through all of this study that there was a process by which you could find what you wanted to do with your life but what was so funny by the time I'd been through that process of writing that book, I had discovered what I wanted to do, which was I wanted to write books. So and because I loved it, I loved the process of creating something that would last. And that was the biggest frustration with my job was you, you didn't create anything that lasted. Everything you did just disappeared. The other thing I started to do was to learn about Internet marketing and blogging. And I did some courses. You know, I pretty much did a sort of online master's degree in, you know, learning how to blog. SEO, you know, all that kind of online marketing. And I guess I never really, there wasn't this light bulb moment, it just kind of happened. And then I tried to self publish, and then that all went wrong. And, and then I learned and then I blogged and, and it's just kind of things have changed along the way. And, and now I write fiction. <laughs> <laughs> going in a little bit all the different directions, right? Yeah, and I think I think it's a it's a lesson for people and I often talk about this when I do a lot of talking. I say it's like skiing down a hill. You have to be moving in order to change direction. And I think that's a really big thing. You actually have to start taking steps in a direction in order to then change direction. So I thought I was going to be a blogger making money from online courses and then eventually found that actually writing fiction was a really good business model. And we'll come back to that, I'm sure. But the fact is, unless I had started down the route of blogging and discovering my voice and writing nonfiction and, you know, and speaking, I wouldn't have found this career path. So I think even even if people don't know the the final outcome for their business right now just get moving and you'll find it's easier to change direction i couldn't agree with you more on that and i love 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 that principle i want to talk a little bit about uh, go a little deeper into your experience as a blogger can you share with us how you really differentiated yourself as a blogger and how did you build your audience? Yeah, sure. So the the creativepen.com and that's pen with a double n which is my name. I that's actually my third blog. So I think that's one big thing for people is again, you just have to let some things go. And I had started two blogs. One was about the book and I always say to people, don't build a blog around one book or one product because you will always move on. And what you want is something that's going to grow over time so the name the creative pen only really came to me like two years into this journey and I was like actually that's a good name because I can do anything with that that's not specifically for one thing so um yeah so the first blog went by the wayside and the second blog I started actually to write notes on all this self-help stuff I was learning but I actually found that I got bored with it you know, I wanted to learn this stuff and then apply it rather than write about it. So that was really interesting as well, because if you can't sustain, if you aren't filled with content for this topic, you're never going to be able to make it in that niche. And I, I mean, I'm now for over five years into the creative pen and I, my content is scheduled for the next four months because I'm, I've never, never run out of ideas. There's always more I want to talk about, you know, and you'll be the same with this show. I mean, there's always more to talk about. So if, if people, if you're bored with your topic, it, it ain't going to last. Let's just say that. So that was one big thing. And then secondly, really learning the principles. So for example, if you want this to be a serious business, 
business don't build on someone else's platform. So we've seen Facebook change their business model. So you now have to pay to boost. I mean, anyone who's built a business on Facebook now is hamstrung with how much they have to pay. Uh, if you build your site on a you know free Weebly or even free WordPress or free Blogger, you, that can disappear at any point. So you should be owning your own platform, um, not sort of digital sharecropping as as people call it um, so that's another thing and then learning some of the basics around search engine optimization especially keywords so what, one of the biggest mistakes I see bloggers making or you know people trying to blog is that they haven't got headlines that people want to click on and therefore those headlines are not going to go through social media properly they're not you know or they haven't got an image you know there's things that will it doesn't matter what you're writing is like unless there is a good headline no one's going to read it no one's going to share it so even just basics like that or using an seo plugin if you use wordpress understanding what people are searching for on the internet all that kind of back-end stuff is so important for actually making an, an impact and then I guess my my last big tip would be um, you've got to be consistent so I've been blogging every two to three days for over five years I've been podcasting every one to two weeks for four years tweeting every day for five years you know so Unless you're consistent, people will forget about you. So that is another thing. It's just, it's got to be long-term consistency and quality, obviously. Jay Conrad Levinson, who's the godfather of guerrilla marketing, literally wrote the book on guerrilla marketing, has spoken to our organization. And he said, bad marketing done consistently will beat great marketing done inconsistently every single day of the week. And that's exactly what you're talking about. And I couldn't agree more. Well, let's try for good marketing done consistently. <laughs> <laughs> that's really the ideal, right? <laughs> that is ideal. But no, I read, um, you know, I read his books. And, and this is the other thing, probably one of the biggest mistakes I made with my first book and, you know, uh, in general was not learning marketing. Um, and the moment you actually, you know, you make, you, you start to learn some of this stuff and reading books like guerrilla marketing and, and learning about, you know, th this stuff, everything kind of changes and you realize, okay, I just have to do this, um, repeatedly over time and eventually something will happen. <laughs> Talk about how you actually monetized your blog. Yeah. So, uh, I think this this is true of all the writing I'm doing. Like you, I'm a businesswoman. I do find money is important for my self-esteem, for measuring my success in the world. But I'm also an artist and a creative. So, um, cre you know, creating stuff is important. But from day one with the blog, I was always intending for it to make money. So I think if people have to make that decision quite early on because if you start training people to think this is just, you know, you writing about your kids or, you know, writing about your dog or whatever you're doing that isn't like a serious approach, then you will struggle to monetize. Um, people will get really annoyed with you if you suddenly put an advert on or something. So I always straight out the gate was intending to do this. I started building my email list straight away. So it's much easier on a non-fiction type of environment or a niche-based uh, business. So I started growing an email list, giving away the Author 2.0 Blueprint, which at the time was about five pages and is now 87 pages. <laughs> 
<laughs> a free ebook still there on the blog, but rewritten sort of every every six months. So that was one big thing I did straight away. And I really recommend people start building a list as soon as possible. Secondly, within about six months, I started selling digital courses. So I was doing um, video and audio courses, multimedia courses, uh, of which I still sell, although I've obviously got new ones since then. This is another thing we'll, we'll come to about the scalable and the long term type of things. Um, but with digital courses, one of the big problems is that they are very time specific, especially if you do anything technical. So anyone who's ever taken a screen capture of Facebook is pretty screwed because they change their design all the time <laughs> or WordPress or whatever. So yeah, so I started doing courses, I started doing um, and then also speaking. So I speak professionally, I joined a professional organisation, I started charging for my speaking. And all of that speaking business came from the blog and Twitter. So pretty much the the blog became a platform for me to earn money physically uh, as well as speaking. So yeah, so speaking, courses, books, obviously I was selling books. Those are my main income streams. Now you are pretty open about the fact that when you went to self-publish your very first book, you had a lot of stumbling blocks. Can you do a quick walkthrough of the process that you did go through back then to actually self-publish, what you learned, and now what you recommend that people should do to self-publish? Sure. So back in 2008, the Kindle hadn't gone international. So it was still a case of there were really no ebooks um, mainstream at that point. I was also in Australia. I wasn't in America. So the big, big, big mistake I made was self-publishing in print and printing 2,000 copies of a book, uh, expecting to then sell that from my own website through get bookstores, that type of thing. And even though I made it onto national TV, national newspapers and everything, I sold about 150 books. <laughs> so the rest went in the landfill. My big um, learning there is uh, use if you want to do print, use print on demand. Um, and I'll come back to that in a minute. So so basically, at that point, self-publishing was not acceptable at all. It was, you know, but I'm an entrepreneur. And I was like, do you know what, I'm just going to do this. And um, plenty of people were doing it in the, you know, in the entrepreneurial space. About a year later, I started back into it because the Kindle arrived on the scene and then opened up to non-US authors. So things really started to change in the self-publishing space. Um, now, the stigma, I would say, is pretty much gone in America. It's, you know, it's almost gone in the UK. It's taking off all over the world. And now my recommendations are to publish direct on the Amazon Kindle, on iBookstore, on Kobo, on Nook, if you're in America, and then do print on demand, which is basically people can, you can order my books from Amazon um, and they'll arrive the next day, but each book is printed for you specifically. So it means I don't have any print costs. I just get money in my bank account later on. So, I mean, there's a lot more that goes into successful self-publishing, but basically nowadays the tools are all there for us to publish very easily to customers directly. And just to mention that blueprint, I, it, it's, it is, you know, 87 pages. It's all in there. The creative page com forward slash blueprint so people can get that and that contains everything that a lot more detail on how to self-publish what are your biggest challenges as a business owner Probably my biggest challenge is balancing. I call myself a creative entrepreneur and the big problem is balancing creative and entrepreneur. <laughs> so um, actually yesterday I had a really, really good day creatively 
Uh, and this morning, I just could not get my head back into it. I'm, I'm in the last chapters of my fifth novel. And yesterday, I was like, great, it was really good. Today, it was a shocker. So in the end, I just gave up and did more stuff on the entrepreneurial side of things. Um, but that's probably my biggest issue is balancing the time for creative. You know, writing fiction is a very different ball game to blogging or being interviewed or, you know, speaking on entrepreneurial topics. So I, I kind of had to change my head from one state to the other state and manage my diary so that my headspace is kind of all sorted that way. Just taking the whole journey as a whole, I think the, the thing to remember is that people have to decide what they want with their life. So when I started doing all of these businesses, so take the scuba diving company, for example, I loved scuba diving. I love scuba diving. It's great. It's fantastic. But essentially, that business was location dependent. It was very high risk in terms of money, in terms of people potentially dying, in terms of I had employees. Um, I had very high costs in terms of fuel and, and, you know, all of this type of stuff. Now, when I, you know, in terms of challenges it was realizing that that was not what I wanted to do with my life so every day now I have to I come up against decisions as you do in your business it's like somebody emails you and says why don't we do this and you're like well that sounds great but my core values in my business are now that I am location independent that freedom is my highest value. So I don't own any stock. I don't have physical location. Um, I don't actually own a house or a car or anything or even furniture anymore. I'm entirely free. I earn money with my laptop. I don't have employees. I only hire freelancers. Um, so every day I make these decisions around, am I following the right path for what I want for my life as opposed to just jumping into anything and I think that that becomes a challenge the more your business develops and and the higher your profile gets. I think that's really interesting because I don't think that that's a concept that many especially startup businesses really think about I mean you're thinking about your business model you're thinking about how you're going to provide value and how that fits within this particular you know widget or service that you're offering and how you're going to actually make a profit doing that and scale out but I don't know if many entrepreneurs are really thinking about, well, what are those valuable things that I need to have as far as lifestyle? Yeah. Well, and I think that's a big problem because people design some business and then they realize like, what am I doing? I, I actually hate this. I hate managing people. I hate, you know, doing all this stuff. And, you know, we've got to think about designing a life and then designing a business that fits that. So um, this is what and now I, I find with what I'm doing. You know, I know you've interviewed some amazing people who are making like $15 million and stuff. Now, I'm very much would want to make $15 million, but I'm going to make it on my terms. Self-publishing, for example, means I get paid 70% seven zero percent for my uh, book royalties whereas if you go with a traditional publisher it will be around 15 to 25 percent so I mean that's a massive amount of money to be paying someone to do basically distribution so some of these decisions around freedom about what I want to do and income are, are really things that I've learned the hard way you know like having employees made me determine never to have them again <laughs> and, and in terms of the money I have such a low overhead like I said I I you know I can earn money with my laptop there's no pretty much no overhead at all um it's crazy so each book becomes an investment and you know we mentioned the time thing earlier this is another like light bulb moment for me with fiction is that fiction doesn't age 
So a non-fiction book will age, absolutely. And people, you know, some of them last the test of time, but most of them will age over time. But, but stories can sell forever. So every novel I create, there's sunk costs with editing and book design, for example, but that will continue earning money for all of my life and 70 years after I die with no need to be updated. And that, I think that makes it the ultimate scalable model. And I can turn that one manuscript into print, ebook, audio in every language that I can do and sell it in every country in the world, which is just phenomenal. So um, I want to encourage people to think about books as part of their business strategy. We haven't really delved into your fiction book. So talk a little bit about how you started writing fiction and what you currently have under your belt in the fiction uh, space, because I have read reviews about your fiction novels and about your series, and I've not seen one bad thing. Every single review I've seen has been, I love this series. When's the next one coming out? So you have a skill and a talent for being able to tell a really great story. So talk a little bit about the nonfiction space for you. Uh, yeah, so so with the fiction, it's a really funny story because I was um, blogging because I was a blogger, you know, and I've been blogging for about a year and a half. And I was like, do you know what? I'm blogging about writing. I should do NaNoWriMo. So if people don't know, NaNoWriMo is National Novel Writing Month, um, and it's na- NaNoWriMo.org every November. So I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to do this for one November, and I'll blog about it. It will give me some content for my blog, and I'll learn a bit about you know this thing and to my surprise and I'd never really thought that it would happen I ended up with a story idea and 20,000 words and 14 months later that turned into Pentecost which was the first in the Arcane series so suddenly my theology background uh, comes back and I'm writing kind of I call them Dan Brown meets Lara Croft kick-ass women fighting and having sex around the world Who doesn't like that? I, you know, I, I like to blow stuff up. I like action movies and I like, um, you know, strong women who do it. So, um, so the Arcane series features Dr. Morgan Sierra, who is brainy and kick-ass. She's kind of my alter ego. You know, I can't fight like her, but I, I kind of wish I could. So there are four, four books in that series um, now. And then just before Christmas, I put out my first crime thriller, which is a lot darker and it has a police side who's the main character and uh, has a lot to, a, lot, a lot of very dark stuff around body modification and corpse art and things like that. So it's, it's definitely on the edge of horror. So the action adventure stuff is the Arcane series and then I'm, I'm kind of heading into horror with some other things. But to my surprise, I found this really, really fun. And just in terms of the money angle, I would point people at a, a very new site. It's only a week old. Uh, it's called authorearnings.com. Uh, it's been started by a very prominent independent author um, in this space, Hugh Howie, who's had massive success with a book called Wool, got a a, a film deal with Ridley Scott with a self-published book, which was just awesome. Um, Anyway, this site, uh, authorearnings.com, I think people will find it very surprising about how much money self-published authors are actually making, but also it shows you what the popular books are. So if you want to write fiction as a business person, and I very much am a business person, so I want to write let's uh, I, I want to write a spiritual memoir about places in the world that I find are spiritual, but 
that ain't won't make any money it just won't it won't make any money it will be a love project so when I thought I want to write fiction as a businesswoman I was always intending to write books that would be mass market commercial fiction that will translate to tv and film and and all of that type of stuff so and I love reading thrillers and and I love Lara Croft and you know so I wanted to write something I love, but also something that would sell. So you really have to look at that if you do want to write fiction as a commercial prospect. If you want to make the most money, you want to write romance because that's about 40% of the market. And that's where, yeah, that's where the multimillionaires are right now. Self-published multimillionaires. I'll point people at a lady called H.M. Ward, Holly Ward. She sold 4 million books in the last two years, 13 New York Times bestsellers, all self-published. She's rejected every deal you can imagine how much money she's making. So this is a space that has radically changed in the last two years. For, for Between four and two years, it's radically changed. Um, and uh, if people do love fiction, if they read fiction, if they have stories in them, I, I do think now is a great time to be an author. For all of our listeners who are listening who are writers themselves or want to write and want to create something, can you talk a little bit about the logistics of what it takes to actually create and get something out on paper. How do you spend your day? How do you get in that zone to where you can actually create content? You are a content machine. I'm listening and I'm hearing about you're constantly writing, you're constantly creating and publishing new things, all different sorts of projects all over the spectrum. How do you actually create? What is your schedule like and what sort of practices do you put into place to be able to to create content? That's a really good question. And what I would say is when back five years ago, whenever it was six years ago, before I started to get into this, I thought I had no ideas. I thought I was the person with the least amount of ideas in the world. I was like dry. My creative well was dry. I had nothing in my soul. I was working in banking and IT. So I don't want people to think that this is... Basically, this is a natural thing that we all crush in, in daily life and we end up thinking that we don't have these ideas. So basically, I, um, there's some, some amazing books. A really good book is Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. Uh, that's an excellent book. Um, but filling, filling the creative well is essentially the way to go. A lot of my writing comes from traveling. So I travel a lot. I go to a lot of art galleries. I find modern art especially very fantastic. I read a lot of poetry. I've got a whole lot of poetry here on my desk. Anything that start you know sparks things in your mind um but it's really about starting to just write down ideas so capturing them so my notebooks like I've got all these notebooks if you start capturing ideas in notebooks you will realize that you do have ideas and more and more come all the time you just have to once you start writing them down they start coming and coming and I've just found that the more you create the more you can create there's another great book and I read so much that's why I keep talking about books but um there's a great book called choose yourself by James Altucher um and he talks about a daily practice of coming up with ideas and it you know that the it's it's like a muscle you just have to exercise it I think that's important and then the second thing is that if you want to do writing as a job this is nothing to do with the muse or inspiration. This is about uh, discipline. It's like with a blog. Like if you say I have to, I have to put out a blog post every three days, then you have to put out a blog post. You can't just not write. So you have to come up with something. In the same way with my fiction, I want to finish this draft by the end of February. So I have to write around two thousand words a day during that period in order to to achieve that. So. 
you ha- I have to have that form of discipline. And, and the book I would recommend on that is uh, Do the Work by Stephen Pressfield. And he also has another book called Turning Pro. And it's pretty much, uh, and Stephen, Stephen King says it as well, you know, it's butt in chair, it's it's treat it like a job, although it's fun, but it's also really, really hard work. So yeah, I guess in some ways I do have a practice in that I always make sure I'm filling up my creative well, but equally you have to, you know, sort of input and output, always be focusing on, you know, getting more stuff into your brain so that you can then output it in another way. Can you talk a little bit about how you have continued to stay strategic about your business? What do you do? What practices do you have that allow you to work on your business instead of getting lost working in your business? Uh, Well, I think that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, deciding on your life goals and making that very clear. So and actually, this was a Tony Robbins thing. It's in one of his books. Decide on what that one word is that defines your life. And it's very, very hard, but I eventually came up with freedom. So freedom is the kind of the the word that I make every decision about. So is this, whatever this thing is, will it, you know, feed into the goal of freedom? And that's financial freedom, obviously, but also physical freedom, which is why we got rid of all our stuff and and all of that type of thing. And then I have a long-term goal. And this is another thing people need to decide. So at the moment, I am an author, a speaker, and an entrepreneur. I'm really happy with that, that kind of sentence. But ultimately, on my wall, it says I am a brand name fiction author. So I'm not a famous fiction author, you know, but I want to be Stephen King. So I get asked a lot to do guest posting, for example. Now, I basically don't do any guest posting anymore, because the amount of work that it takes out of me to write a guest post doesn't work towards that goal of being a brand name fiction author so I could probably earn more money with my for my courses and get more traffic for my blog but ultimately does it feed into that being a a fiction author no it doesn't or for example there's some amazing conferences in America like South by Southwest for example I would love to come to South by Southwest but when it comes down to it um, I go to Thriller Fest in New York because I'm a thriller author and I at the end of the day I'm an author first and South by Southwest is really for bloggers and entrepreneurs so I think you have to decide as a business person like what is my ultimate goal and then you have to say yes to some things and no to other things in order to to stay strategic as you as you put it that's beautiful couldn't agree with you more on that very very great advice what is the plan that you have for scaling out your business oh well i I mentioned a little bit about scale but to me um you know the manuscript is a brilliantly scalable product so right now um let's take pentecost for example which is the first one in the arcane series it's available in ebook print book and audiobook on amazon and it's also on you know ibookstore and kobo in english so that's three kind of products It's selling in over 30 countries now worldwide. So that's three multiplied by 30. Then I've got Spanish, Italian and German uh, versions coming out this year in print and ebook. And I'm going to try and sell the rights to the the German rights, to the audio, that type of thing. And so I've got a rights agent now who's actually going to take those and try and sell the books in different languages. So in terms of scalability, it's awesome to have fiction manuscript because essentially, and I'm also uh, going to a screenwriting festival to kind of meet with screenwriters and stuff to try and turn it into a script. So 
in terms of scalability, my whole goal, so if you think about that one manuscript has suddenly turned into sort of 30 times three, you know, a lot of different income streams. My goal is to create probably three to four manuscripts a year, three fiction projects, one non-fiction project, because I also write non-fiction. And each of those books, I, I didn't want to call them books because they're not just books anymore. They're kind of, you know, products. Let's call them a product. Each of those will kind of go out into these other formats to become more and more scalable and what we're seeing globally right now this is this is what you guys in america have to remember there is a very big world out there that is just discovering a lot of the stuff that is mature in the u.s so in the last six months my sales from amazon and kobo and ibookstore have started to grow in markets other than the u.s so i'm suddenly getting paid in euros from germany and italy and spain i'm getting sales in south america and um the, the far east in asia cell phone penetration in india for example where there's 300 million educated indians middle class indians because it's a massive economy china you know we we know how big digital is growing across the world so if you think that you own the rights to sell this content globally in any format this really is a massively scalable business and because my overheads are so tiny it just becomes profitable so i'm very excited about the growth globally and in terms of scalable i just think this is amazing Joanna, I love your passion, and you are obviously just such a great combination of a creative and a very smart businesswoman, so I really appreciate that. I really want to close out this conversation to ask you, what advice would you give to our listeners out there, those who are thinking about writing a book or being in the, the writing space and possibly publishing, or those who are, who have written books, who have either published already as a self-published book or have you know, traditionally published books, what advice would you give them about growing their businesses? Uh, well, first of all, identify what your definition of success is. So I do a lot of these talks and some people just want a book to show their mom or you know, their, publish their granddad's diary or whatever. And that's brilliant. You know, if, or if you want to write your memoir, fantastic, but that's unlikely to be a business model for you as a book. It can be, you know, completely valid as a creative project, but you have to work out your definition of success. Once you've got that, and once you know how you're going to get there, then you can work out, all right, so how am I going to do this? So for example, the biggest learning that anyone who wants to make an income from books needs to know is you cannot just have one book. You have to have more stock and more products on the shelf. It's like in a bookstore, you don't find the one book that's got a tiny spine, you find the shelf where that author has loads and loads of books. So you actually, if you're going to do writing as a business, as in write books as a business, you do have to invest in creating multiple products. So that would probably be my biggest learning. And then the second thing is, do your research. Things are changing every minute right now. I mean, it really is a stunningly changeable environment. And understanding the stuff I was saying about rights. When publishers buy rights from people, you sign away all of those rights globally to everything, usually, and maybe for you know 10 grand or something which you know the average advance is not very high so you really need to be aware of these of the amazing business potential of your work and I've got a, a whole stuff lots about that on, on my site around rights and, and things so yeah really understanding your definition of success writing as creative 
stuff is brilliant um but if you want to make it an income stream then yeah you need to start learning about the business side of things Joanna, I really want to thank you for for bringing your story and for sharing that with everyone today. Um, Such an intense amount of information, both practically and creatively. So thank you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Go to thecreativepen.com. That's pen with two N's and go check out all of the resources Joanna has. Joanna, thank you so much for taking your time and for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Katie. What great information from Joanna Penn. If you loved what you heard, then don't forget to give us a rating on iTunes and go to bizwomenrock.com and leave a comment on the show notes for Joanna Penn. I'll see you on the next episode and keep on rocking.